0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Quickly, the outline is going to be talking about how that when we face Jesus Christ and alleviate some of those doubts that we need evidences for our mind. We're not ready yet to put our full, complete faith and confidence in Christ until we really know that he is alive forevermore. He is who he claimed to be, that we really can trust scripture. So we're gonna call it, we need evidences. Not everybody does. When I was a young boy coming to Christ, it wasn't that someone had to prove the Bible to me. I don't know where I got it, but I didn't doubt the veracity of Scripture. I was raised in a home that never, really never went to church. We never even had a Bible in our house. But somewhere along the line, I never questioned the authenticity of Scripture. But there are a lot that do, especially today, because so many people have gone on the the offensive against Scripture. So maybe that's you. The second area we're going to go to, and that's once we have evidences for the mind, we still have a hard issue. We, We got the truth, but we still don't own it yet. In other words, okay, we agree that that's truth, but we're not yet ready yet to say that's truth for me. So I want to give you some of the answers to the heart. And now, I promise you, Mary will not answer all of your questions that you might have for the heart, but there will be some questions that you might have that Jesus will answer. And I pray you'll listen to that. And then at the end, He speaks to the emotions of the soul so that at the very end of all of this, you're ready to say, I got the evidence. He's answered enough of my heart questions. I am now ready to enter into an emotional soul committed relationship with him. I'm ready to, so to speak, put my full faith in Christ. And that kind of thing is I'm so engaged to that. So maybe that's where you're going to be at the end. But I pray that you'll see how that he gingerly and lovingly and compassionately will take This person, Mary, and bring her through those three steps. So at the end of this, she owns Christ for herself. And maybe that'll be for you. So let's begin, if we will. If you want to know the resurrected Christ, you need to have evidences for the mind. So go back to the passage, if you will, and let me read it to you again. At least verses 3 through verse 9. And we'll see some truths in there that might help you along with the outline that I've given to you. Beginning at verse 3 again, it says, So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And then the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. And he came to the tomb first and he stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings that were there. But he didn't go in. And so Simon also came following him and he entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, very similar to what John did. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head in the tomb not lying with the linen wrappings that were all there. So the tomb had a level shelf on it, a rock shelf perhaps, and all the linen was wrapped up in one little cocoon-looking shape, but the face was wrapped up separate from it, but rolled up in a place all by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw, but now he moves to the and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. That last phrase, well, if you believe in as yet they didn't understand, you could say it this way. For now they understood as of yet, before they didn't understand, but as of yet now they're getting this, they understood. Now, you'll notice in your notes that I put down there are three different kinds of explanations or definitions of the word saw. The reason I'm doing that, again, is because intellectually you also may go through that same little step. So let's look at it again just with those words saw. Pick it up at verse 5. It says in stooping and looking in he saw the linen wrappings there but he didn't go in. And that would be John. That word saw is a very simple word and it basically means to glance or to look quickly at. Some of you you can kind of see something and you take a glance and you move on from it. So you kind of saw it but you didn't really fully understand it. He's looking in and... All he happens to see is, okay, there's the cloth. There's a folded uh, face cloth over there. I'm looking at all of this. And it didn't quite register yet. Now, remember, he's on the outside. He didn't get up close and personal. He was on the outside looking. At, and he gave it that cursory little glance. Doesn't mean he didn't see it. But he didn't see the meaning of it. Now, Peter's a little bit different. He goes all the way into the tomb now. And you see the word saw there in verse 6. Following him and entering the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings. Now, that's a different Greek word. That's a word that we would get our word theorized. Meaning that he looked at it. He looked carefully at it. He observed it. And he's now looking and saying, Okay, now why did it look this way? Now the commentators are very consistent on this. Their statement is this. If Jesus' body was stolen by grave robbers, it's highly likely that they would have done one of two things. One, they would have ripped off all those bandages that he had, all that wrapping, those grave clothes, and just grabbed the body. Now for the life of me, maybe because I'm just not a grave robber, I don't know, who would want to steal a dead body that's all beat up and shredded? I I haven't figured that out, but I can't always figure out the depravity of man. The second would be the grave robbers might leave the body, but take the grave clothes or those linens because they would be anointed and there would be something that they could do with that. I haven't dug enough research to find out what it was, but that is an answer. Others then say, well, what really was happening is that when Jesus was in there all wrapped up, he was basically kind of swooning, he was passed out, so to speak, like you might see on a TV show, and all of a sudden he kind of wakes up in the cool and the dampness and the darkness of the tomb, and he gets revived, and so what would he do? Well, if he did, he would break through those linen, how would he unwrap himself? Certainly he wouldn't fold it back up again, and then he would then go out of the tomb. Now, logically think about it. Go back to what we studied last week when we went through the entire bodily uh, torturing of him, then how he was executed on the cross, so you know how horrible condition he was in, and then waking up. Do you think a person that went through that kind of torture would be strong enough to even unwrap his wrappings or even to break through those wrappings? And if he could, do you think he'd be strong enough to take a boulder stone, B-O-U-L-D-E-R, boulder stone, and roll it away himself? He couldn't have done that. So he couldn't by his own strength be able to take him, take that away. And all this was was wrapped up in a cocoon one more time showing that I had victory over death. I can conquer that. If I can get through the tomb, I certainly can get through some linen cloth wrappings, even a head cloth. So now Peter is trying to figure all this out. Why is it like this? Why is it like this? So he's thinking a little bit. Some of you are at that point. Some of you are now wanting to investigate this. And I want to commend you on it, even if you're not at faith yet. I want to commend you on the research that you're doing because once you step over the line of faith, you will be such a a courageous and also great defender of the faith because you'll have your answers ahead of time where a lot of they believe and then they have to continue to get their answers afterwards. You're really going to get this stuff. The only thing I caution you is that the Word of God is like the Internet. You'll never get to the end of it. And so you can keep studying and studying and studying. and You've heard this term. You don't want to have paralysis by analysis. So at the end of all of this thing, you never place your faith in Christ. So you want to do your study. And remember, it's not how much faith you have in a risen Savior. It's the little bit of faith that you have, like a little child, a grain of mustard seed, as long as it is in the risen Savior. So you can theorize, you can observe, you can do some study, but don't wait too long. Well, the third is a little bit more. This is a different word in the Greek, and it means to perceive, to understand, to intelligently comprehend the truth. It's like, um, I don't mean to make light of this whole resurrection, but... Since we're so contemporized here, I'm, I might give this to you. How many of um, not I might, I will. How many of you watch the television commercial when they, this guy, he's drinking all of this stuff and then later on he finds out that he could have a V8? What does he do when he finds out he could have a V8? Everybody, what does he do? Everybody does it. Slaps the top of their head. I could have had a V8. You know what he's really saying? I got it. I could have had a V8. That's what's happening now to John. He glances, Peter is theorizing over this, and there may have been some dialogue. And finally, John goes in a little bit further because Peter's in there really studying this stuff. And then it's like, I got it. Well, that's where the Lord wants us. He wants us to get it. He wants us to say, I finally got this. Now, you're not going to get all of it, but I will tell you, you will get enough to satisfy you that Jesus is the risen Savior. So keep that in mind. Now, In your notes, I've given you some historical facts that are strong ones that might help you to understand that some evidences, not historical facts, some evidences that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. I wanted to give them to you so you understand that this wasn't just concocted by some theologians that want to make us believe in the start of a new religion called Christianity. This is well thought out with plenty of evidences. The first one will be historical records. What we find from outside of scripture historical records is the fact that there really was, and I say that as the person historical Christ, there really was a Jesus Christ. Crucifixion and that style of crucifixion really occurred in those days. There was a humongous event that occurred in those days. So historically, we know that this event did happen. So there is testimony to that. There's also testimony from various writers that did see the risen Savior. So it wasn't a bunch of guys that were asleep, and all of a sudden they said, you know what, we've got to validate the story that Jesus said so we can launch Christianity. So let's just say we saw Jesus. Those testimonies, while they overlap with some people, are scattered with others, but these people went to their graves suffering, many of them, for the very fact that they did believe that they saw the risen Savior. So there's plenty of historical data, in Scripture and out of Scripture, to believe that. The second would be the silence of the enemies. You know, all the enemies had to do was to produce the body of Christ to show that this Jesus, who said he was God, who'd rise again from the dead, would then show the dead body, and all of by doing that, that would cancel out all these other truths about Jesus' claims and who he was. They never once produced the body. They lied about it, but they never once produced the body. The third one is the change in the life of the disciples. We mentioned that earlier, but just to bring it back home to you, the change in the life of those people. And then finally, the change in our life today. When I teach apologetics, there's five truths that I try to bring out. There's a lot of data underneath, but I try to do it five ways. Listen carefully. First, I want to show them scientific proofs that the Bible is true. Second, historical proofs so we can go back to history and geography that the Bible is true. The third way we want to talk about is prophecy, that there's plenty of data of Jesus making prophecies in the Old Testament that came true, that nobody could have made them. It had to be so supernatural, and I give you data with that. The fourth way is the longevity and the saleability of the Bible. If this book really was a hoax, and I don't care what late-night comedians want to say, what those pseudo-intellectuals want to say, those people that are objective students of the Word will say that this book is around today because... It is flawless in fact when you read on Sundays the New York Times bestsellers, and they always list what are the best seller books they never put the Bible on there because the Bible consistently becomes the best seller book so objectively it has withstood the time one guy did this so well and I appreciate it he said the Bible is like an anvil all the critics are like ma- mallets and you know the mallets that hit the anvil they're broken and they're gone and they come and go but the anvil is always there the Bible, no matter how many critics, still remains true. But now those are what I call objective reasons. We can look at that objectively. The fifth is one is valid as well, but I save that for last because some people would much rather have the objective truths, and I agree with that. They need to have the outside source. But the fifth one is still valid because the Bible, frankly, works in my life. One of the best ways it helps me to understand this is when I... Um, and I'm at that stage in my life that maybe some of you might be at, and that is sometimes I misplace my phone, or I, I forget, where did I put my keys? I thought they were on my desk. Carol, what'd you do with my keys? <laughs> and so I can't find it. But once I find my phone, or I find my keys, or I find something that I misplaced, once I find it, guess what? I don't keep looking for it, because I found it. Once you find Christ, and you own Christ, your search for, well, maybe then you go on. The search is over, because you'll never thirst again. You're satisfied with it. So we know that it's true. How important this truth is, the empty tomb and the evidences for it. So let's go to number two. So we moved you from some evidences. I know it's not enough for some of you, but that's all right, because I can load you up with tons of data, tons of stuff that you can read that'll show you that Jesus Christ, who he claimed to be. But the second is we need answers for our heart. Because once we have those evidences, now we have to say, okay, I I hear that as being truth. But do I believe it's truth? I, I, I got all of that, but now is it truth for me? All right? Let's see it here in the life of Mary Magdalene. Pick it up at verse 10, if you will. It says, "...so the disciples went again to their own homes." To me, I, I'm kind of baffled by that a little bit because they've seen the you know, the empty tomb and all of that. Maybe they went home in belief, but they didn't know well what else to do with it. They might have gone home with a little bit of bewilderment, but they, they left to go home. We'll pick, about, we'll pick them up later on. But for right now, go to verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, and she was weeping. And that's where I'm getting the heart. She's emotionally engaging in what's happening. These guys kind of went in there, and intellectually they were believing or not believing, they had to kind of sort it all out and study it. But Mary, she was emotionally attaching this, she was weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the tomb and she saw now, interesting, she's just outside the tomb, she looks in, there's two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they laid him. Now, here's what I'd like to interject here. When, when we hear about angels, uh, a lot of the, the common man on the street a woman on the street, if you were to interview them, we say, what does an angel look like? A lot of them will make jokes. You read the comics or some books and they'll talk about angels are going to be up on a cloud playing a harp or maybe they got wings or a halo. Who, look at the pictures. Look at the Renaissance pictures of all these angels. If that's really what those angels look like, I don't think Mary would have had a dialogue like that with them. She would have said, "Wow, look at you! Whoa, whoa. you know, there'd been some. Kind of, wouldn't you think? If you, you know, I believe that angels look very much like humans. Now they don't always act in every capacity as a human because there's supernaturalness about them. You can go do a study on angelology. We've offered it here, so you can understand what are biblical angels. So they look like men, yeah, albeit they were different. All of a sudden, she looked, there they are. Okay, yeah, they were in white. That might have been a little bit different. So she's going to pay attention to them, but not so dramatically." But her heart is there. She is weeping. But after these angels say what they say, let's go a little bit further into the passage and see what happens then. In verse 13 again, they said, Women, why are you weeping? She said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So she's still not fully engaged yet in a risen Savior. She's thinking of a dead Savior, a dead Lord. When she had, when she had said this, she turned around after looking in the tomb. Remember, she's in the tomb. She looks around and standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus then said, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Well, let's pause for a moment. That weeping part. Uh, Why didn't she really recognize Christ finally at that stage? I'm going to give you some of my answers. They work for me. They may not work for you. Some of them are good uh, theories. One is when uh, Jesus was there and she turned around at this stage of this dialogue, this uh, part of the drama, the real drama. She didn't recognize him. Some of you might say, why not? He should have been so shredded and bloodied and dried blood or whatever. It's because when he did come back to life, that wasn't there any longer except for the nails in his hands and his feet. We know that to be a fact. Now, he hadn't showed those to her, so he might have been standing you know, with his arms close to his chest or at his side or whatever. So she didn't really recognize. The other, very pragmatically, would be in, in some of you more than others, when you're weeping, your eyes you can't you can't see very clearly and so you don't you don't focus very well. So she's crying. In the Greek, the word here isn't crying like <laughs> I don't want to be dramatic here, but I'm talking about wailing. Wailing. Have any of you ever been to a memorial service where they're finally maybe either rolling the body out in the casket to the graveside, and they know that in a few moments, that casket is going to go down into the ground. They're going to cover it, never to be risen again. This is like the final moments of a loved one that was above the ground, but is now really being, quote, planted in the ground. Have you been where some of the family or loved ones wail so badly that they get out of their seats under the canopy at the cemetery, and they are wanting to throw them on the casket? Well, Pastor Dennis and I are blessed to be able to be invited to do many memorial services. This gives us an absolute wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. I don't care if they're Buddhist or Catholics or atheists or whatever, they will get a clear gospel, compassionate message in the midst of their suffering. But the hardest thing for me, and I think I'm pretty strong as a personality person, but when I see them wailing and sobbing and the service has almost come to a screeching halt. And we've halted for 30 minutes. And do we pull them off and they're not seeing clearly. I could understand that at this point, Mary, as some women tend to have that emotion. And I'm not marginalizing them. There have been men doing the same thing when their wives pass. And I see that they can't see very clearly. So the crying, the weeping, the non-focusing. I thought the whole idea of Jesus asking these questions some of you on the outside of the faith might say well if he's God you he should have already known all of that stuff well he is God and he did know that so he asked questions now what you might find very interesting if you want to do this go back in scripture and find out how many times the Lord Jehovah God and Jesus would be asking questions to people that he already knew the answer but he did that to cause these people to have to answer that question to go a little bit deeper into who they are so they don't just be low information people. Let me go over just a few. don't have to turn there, but just listen. Do you remember when um, Adam and Eve um, fell in the garden? And what did the Lord ask? Where are you? Was it the Lord says, where'd you go, you little bug? You're running a rock? He wasn't like that. He knew. How about another time when he asked them where they were and what they did? What happened to them? What was going on? I like when he was quizzing the disciples and he said, Guys, 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 who do you think I am? He knew who he was, obviously. But he was getting them to go a little bit deeper than the surface level of information. And then how about the blind men? And he looked at these guys when they were yelling out for help to Jesus. He said, what do you want me to do? If anybody that would know what these men needed it would be Jesus and what to do it would be Jesus but he asked the question what do you want me to do so when he asked the question why are you weeping why are you crying who do you really seek so maybe it'd be good occasional times to ask yourself some questions why am I weeping why do I really feel down why am I discouraged why am I still having questions about who God is How do I know the Bible's inspired? Why am I still having problems in my marriage? Instead of shifting blame, and instead of everybody else has to defend the situation, pause for a moment and just allow the Lord to ask you the kind of questions that you need to ask and answer yourself to get you to go a little bit deeper and to come to the very truth of the matter. Where are you to get Adam and Eve to be confronted with their own sin? Who do you say that I am? You are the living son of God. Getting them to now go public with what they sorted out in their mind. So whom do you seek? You might be thinking about that. I think about that crying and Martin Luther, the founder of, one of the founders of the Reformation. Um, If anybody would know theology, it would be Martin Luther. I enjoy reading him. Don't always agree with everything. He probably don't agree with everything, me either, but he's a great guy. One time he was depressed over something and when I was doing this study I couldn't find out what he was depressed about except he was so depressed he was like Mr. Grumpy around the house for a while. Depressed, 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 depressed. So his wife came down one day and she was wearing all black for a funeral. And so as she came down Martin was trying to figure out what, what, who died and he forgot who died and he didn't know why. Maybe I should be ready. So he said, who, who died? And she said, God died. And he went ballistic with her. What do you mean God died? You should know better. I've been teaching. That's what the article said. And then she said, Well, the way you've been acting, you're acting as if God really died. Is that really true? And so some of you that might feel these points in your life that you're now going into these fits of issues, maybe the question is, Did God die? And head headwise, No, He hasn't died. But now we move to the heart and say, Well, if He hadn't really died, then why is His heart here? So, devastated. Maybe he hasn't died, but maybe some of your faith is a little fragile. Okay. Why is your faith a little fragile? And maybe it's because we've gotten too much immersed in the world and not enough into his word. I don't know, but dig deeper on those questions of why those things seem to happen. Well, let's go to the third. We move from the the evidence for the mind to answers for the heart. But we also need a relationship with our soul because we can have the evidences given to us, and there could be a myriad of evidences, and we could spend days, weeks, months, years trying to uh, not apologize for the Lord, but to apologize God, give apologetics and truth to answer your questions. And it'll never happen. I, I I hope you will trust Christ. There is that element of faith. And then some of you, with your heart, you finally are getting your questions answered. Okay, now I get it. I, I figured this all out. Yep, you're right. I, th- I see all that. But you haven't fully yet engaged Christ by faith alone. Look at this passage again. Let's go back to it. See where I left off and pick up what happens next, okay? So woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away the Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she saw Jesus standing there, didn't know it was Jesus. And he asked, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? supposing him to be the gardener. Remember, the tomb is in a garden area. So thinking that the gardener was kind of there to kind of clean up the whole gardening area there where all of these uh, graves might have been and other things, making them look nice. And uh, Dennis and I work with a lot of grave diggers over at uh, Mililani, and uh, they're gardeners over there as well. We have quite a relationship with them. But uh, I sure don't suppose any of them to be Jesus, but that's another story. It says, so she... um, Said to him, Sir, if they've carried him away, tell me, where, where have you laid him? Maybe as the gardener, you emptied the tomb out, get it ready for the next part. I, don't, I want to take him, I, I want him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher.